Welcome to Sober Nation FM, a podcast network dedicated to sharing experience, strength, and hope so that you may continue to live your best life of recovery. The Sober Podcast Network is brought to you by Sober Nation. Do you want to live a healthy, sober life? Sober Nation is the world's leading online recovery community. Find support, resources, stories of hope, and even an online treatment program at SoberNation.com. Live a happy life. Be comfortable in your skin and join the recovery movement. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. Now enjoy today's episode. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Anthony Alvarado from Rise and Grind Recovery Radio. We are speaking out to help save lives in our community and all across the nation, and this year, all around the world. And we also have Nadine Moscovich in the house again, second week in a row. What's up? Yeah, what's up? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here, Anthony. I, you know, I love being on the show. I'm super grateful to be here. Yeah, and you're doing an excellent job on the show. I think you speak. I mean, is that what you do in your your day-to-day yeah like you know day, you i mean like i just yeah all, all day every day i mean that, that all day every day that <laughs> is day, that's, every day. that's my thing no i uh, heard you were at uh appleton east last uh yesterday yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was it was uh really great there, but yeah you know. <laughs> <laughs> we uh it was uh really nice to meet bev kelly miller there uh, as she was celebrating um, her daughter's birthday, 24th birthday, mm-hmm. um, Megan. And, uh, you know, even though uh, Megan is no longer with us, it was amazing just to see her there and sharing her daughter's story and, and being a voice for her. And, and uh, you know, it, it's a difficult thing, I can only imagine. I mean, she did it seven times <laughs> to seven different classes, but it was uh, a beautiful thing to see in the same sense that, you know, her story will forever live on. And it's great seeing her mom, you know, doing that. I mean, the power and the strength and the ability that she has to share her daughter's story. I mean, uh, I thanked her yesterday, mm-hmm. and I, but I think about her and other mothers that we have spoken with that either have a loved one that's struggling with addiction or have unfortunately lost uh, their child due to the disease of addiction. And I don't know how they do it, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I don't know how those parents can uh, get up there and speak, and especially yesterday, Bev, you know, seven times in a row we've done stuff like that (laughs) Mm -hmm. before it's exhausting it is exhausting very exhausting but i I think like the the power and uh you know the encouragement and you know bev knows that this is what her daughter wants her to be doing you know she wants her daughter her daughter wants her her mom to be happy you know Mm -hmm. just as she was um and and i think that that is a a great thing for her to hang on to you Mm -hmm. know and be able to share that with other people and it is, it is, um, in part, I mean, historically, you know, we have seen other social movements taken off um, when it, there is a great pain, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think about uh, people that have been lost to, um, you know, other diseases. And people start to speak out. Right. Right. And I know when we had Betsy Roselle and the Roselle family mm-hmm. on, I mean, their, their son, you know, died within months. Right. 
of our interview, mm-hmm. you know, and then I just saw somebody uh, on social media yesterday that was like, uh, they're from Manitowoc and they lost their brother, mm. you know, just recently within the last, uh, like, I think it was within the last few weeks, wow. you know, and there are, they're like, we need to change. Right. That something needs to change. Mm-hmm. There needs to be more resources. We need to help eliminate the stigma around addiction. We need to be able to support these people with love and kindness. And I was like, man, this person gets it, mm-hmm. right? Like this person understands. Mm-hmm. And to get that maybe plugged in to something um, or a system or somebody that is advocating. Um, and in part, that's what we've been doing here, right? Is just trying to um, show people that there are opportunities to get involved and to advocate for those changes to take play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can only think about, you know, some of the other groups that we've had on, but today we're going to be having on Shatterproof, mm-hmm. um, which is doing a wonderful job on a national level advocating as well. Yeah, they are. I'm, I'm really stoked to talk to Gary and, and the work that Shatterproof is doing and, um, you know, the change that they have been making in the last few years. Um, uh, just real quick, I want talking about change uh, right here in our state of Wisconsin. I just want to uh, get or hear a little bit about how you feel of what happened this last week. I know you were already on the news once, um, but just in short, um, you know, we had a, a pretty, pretty big thing happen. Uh, right here in the state of Wisconsin around uh, recovery and and addiction. So uh, what do you think about that, Anthony? Well, uh, I think a lot about it, actually, to be honest with you, because it is a huge monumental moment, I think, for the state of Wisconsin. I can only uh, keep on being reminded of the huge surprise we all had (laughs) when we went to NAMI Fox Valley and we were hanging out with Jesse Heffernan, who's one of our advisory team members and also one of our best friends. He's like, dude. You're not going to believe Guess what happened what? <laughs> for recovery support services, peer support, recovery coaches on the map in Wisconsin. Game changer. Right. 12, 12 million. Right? 12 million. 12 million. 12 million, 14 million, 12, 10. Around, it doesn't matter. Right around, around there, there. Right. In the millions. That's a big deal. Right. I mean, I know Governor Scott Walker has uh, epically changed the system uh, in the last week and, and all of the support and, and the team and, and all of the people that have worked tremendously hard in the last few years, you know, to gain this momentum and, and to really start making things happen. It was beautiful to beautiful. see. Mm-hmm. Beyond beautiful. You know, right. it's, it's one of those things where you can ultimately, for us as advocates, you can take a look at the work that we are doing and the hundreds and hundreds of people across the state on an advocacy level or thousands mm-hmm. and even across the nation. And that's why those things are happening. Right. I mean, we're learning from each other, uh, from each other all across the nation. Mm-hmm. And to take a look at the fact that we can really start investing in the recovery support services, I think ultimately what that means to us is that we can start engaging people when they need it most. Mm-hmm. So no matter what point they are within their lifeline or struggling with addiction or just struggling in general, um, a peer service provider, right. a specialist, a certified individual can engage that person, help them to come up with a health and wellness plan, help them to discover and meet them, well, discover like what their goals are, but meet them where they're at, Mm -hmm. right? So how can they start making subtle changes and maybe even big changes in their life? And I think one of the coolest aspects of those type of services is that they get them connected with other really great, valuable services in the community. And we know that it is unfortunately not as easy to go online 
I mean, I can go online right now and be like, all right, so I'm in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm going to search what is the best cup of coffee in town. And boom, <laughs> mm -hmm. I could have an option of 10 places. And I'm not comparing coffee to the <laughs> treatment world. But, I mean, if I go online, it is quite difficult to try to find, like, okay, where are recovery support groups? Is there a recovery community center? Um, and it's not that you can't find it, but there isn't just one great resource or right. um, an easy-to-navigate resource, and that creates a lot of problems. It does. I mean, how many mm -hmm. times do people reach out to us on, on Facebook, Instagram, our website, email, um, in person? Like, I have a person struggling right now. Every day. <laughs> where do I go? Mm -hmm. Every single day. Right. You know, and I, and I think that's what's really great. I mean, with you know uh, the more services that are going to be offered, and and not just in you know the recovery community, but also in like the Department of Corrections and in mm -hmm. our hospital associations. You know, um, I think that is what is going to be you know extremely crucial um, for people that are seeking recovery, especially when you you know get the help that you need or you are in treatment, you know, what are you doing after treatment? And when you go back into the real world, mm -hmm. you know, what are you doing with your life? And, and I think, uh, especially that's, what's really awesome, uh, with shatterproof, uh, cause that's what it seems like, you know, they're really trying to bridge that gap, uh, for people, you know, whether it's through prevention, treatment and recovery support services, I think, you know, they're doing a phenomenal job of, of getting people involved and, you know, voicing their own opinions on what really matters and, and actually making change, you know, really making that change happen. Yeah, it was a phenomenal moment last week. And I think that is just, you know, a testament to everybody's work, not just Rise Against work, right. not just a few organizations. I mean, millions and millions of people across the country are starting to ban arms, mm -hmm. they're starting to speak out, they're starting to stand up in places that they normally wouldn't say, no, we are demanding a change. Right. And we are, if anything, we're being heard. Right. And we're not stopping. We're, we're not, not stopping until right. change is happening. Because we need to make sure, even when those public dollars come through, or those uh, government grants or mm -hmm. those, you know, more access to funds kind of conversation comes into play. We also need to have uh, more access to accountability. Right. Where are they really going? You know, mm -hmm. Where are those dollars really going? Yep. How are they um, currently supporting the current system of care, but how are we also developing innovative new strategies that are going to be beneficial that can coincide um, along with the resources that we already have in our community um, that is extremely crucial mm -hmm. you know and we have to figure out a way to use these funds not only appropriately um, and do so in a way that people can apply for those funds and be more or less certified to get those funds mm -hmm. but my point of all that conversation is um, what I'm trying to say is that we need to break down the silos uh, within our community um, I would love to be able to, uh, as we tour across the state, for example, mm -hmm. to be uh, more engaged this right. year with um, resources for teens, mm -hmm. uh, specifically since we're in the middle schools and high schools. I wish there was more, right? <laughs> but maybe like some of this funding gives us opportunity to have more resources like that. Mm -hmm. I know they're even taking a look at um, including three more detox uh, facilities in the mm -hmm. state, and that's a big deal. In that's huge. You know, how many mm -hmm. times have you've heard of people or even yourself have had somebody uh, detoxing on your couch? Right. <laughs> in a unmed, uh, like a, not a medical facility, mm -hmm. right? Like my couch is not a hospital. No. Um, and I mean, I know I did. <laughs> when right? I was going through detox, I detoxed in my sister's basement. <laughs> yeah. Because I didn't have the option. Yeah. And I, I did it in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that was wicked horrid. <laughs> right. It was, <laughs> we, let's not even talk about <laughs> I was going to say, we don't yet. have to go there. But, yeah. but it, it was. It was almost... Uh, Identifying in some senses yeah. where I that was 
excruciating. So the fact that they're going to provide those resources and then also looking at MAT. Right. Right. So assisted medicated treatment. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of conversation around that. Sometimes there's even controversy. But when you take a look at assisted medicated treatment, you can uh, take a look at its effectiveness, um, not only through research, but especially when it coincides with treatment right. and other counseling services. Doing it the correct way. You know, right. and people need choices. You know, they definitely need options, and and uh, it might I know not we be talk for about everybody. That. Right, 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 right. And that's you know, and that's the thing. You know, everybody. Um, there's all pathways to recovery. You know, many pathways, and you know, we have to be supportive for what works for that person. And right. I, and it seems like that's what our state is uh, starting to understand. It's really amazing. And it's really cool. My favorite part of the announcement is that they're looking at um, adolescent prevention programs, mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about ESPERT, for mm -hmm. example. We've been advocating for ESPERT hard for a while, last, like 18 months. Right. You know, Eric Kirkstein and yeah. Kevin Kane and all those individuals that have been involved all across the state. Uh, big shout out to Eric. Right. You know, we did some <laughs> phenomenal work together and we sat down with Representative John Nigren and we proposed a couple ideas and mm -hmm. we even uh, flew Representative John Nigren out to Boston and took a look at the work that Community Catalyst is doing. And for everybody out there screening, um, this screening tool is called ESPERT, that's S-B-I-R-T, and that's Screening Brief Intervention and Referral to Treatment. <laughs> um, I know it is quite long, but it is a really great tool that can be used to meet people where they're at um, mm -hmm. in different parts of the community. Um, most often, it's used in schools, right. particular high schools mm -hmm. and middle schools. And what it does is it can uh, universally um, assess and uh, provide uh, an engagement or brief intervention to teens and it helps them connect them to resources within the school or outside of that school mm -hmm. uh, to get the support they need for a potential substance use disorder or if that person's struggling with the addiction or even if they're struggling with some type of mental illness which that's pretty awesome that's so awesome. it's building like more of a common language and a comfortable right. practice in current systems that we have in the community school system in this case so you mean like they actually ask the kids like how they're doing and what's going on in their own life yeah. so it's almost like really determining like the risk factors mm -hmm. you know and especially when kids are at that age and it's really uh, a little bit more difficult actually probably really difficult you know to ask for help yeah. Um, but having that tool and the trainings and the certification that's going to go behind it to the teachers or counselors, um, you know, I mean, I can, I can only imagine it's only going to make kids yeah. feel that much more comfortable to seek help. Well, comfortable indeed, because we are not having like a punitive conversation uh, necessarily. When you're using the the expert model, uh, which is the evidence-based um, you know assessment tool, mm -hmm. you're really looking at supporting that person where they are mm -hmm. in their active use or non-active use. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that's really cool that it also allows people to have conversation about other things that are going on mm -hmm. at school, at home, uh, that could actually uh, be one of the core factors or things in that person's life that could drive up towards using drugs right. or alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, you know, talking about eliminating or helping to eliminate uh, stress factors uh, in a teen's life. I mean, which we know is needed <laughs> is absolutely needed. Right. And sometimes sleep can be a big part of that answer. Mm -hmm. um, sleep for everyone. <laughs> sleep for everyone, right? It's nap time. everyone. <laughs> here in Wisconsin, we should actually implement that just like what Lisbon. 
right? Yeah, we should do I'm that. I'm all for that. <laughs> Nap time at noon, two-hour break. That would be fantastic. <laughs> but no, I mean, I'm, a, I'm excited. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. long-winded, long-winded answer. Um, a lot of advocacy, blood, sweat, tears, mm-hmm. hardship. Are we doing enough? Are we right. being heard? And the answer is absolutely yes. Right. And they're supporting. Yes, you can hear that pounding on the table. I'm just going to be like. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Excited for so many other reasons, though, this year. I know um, we're kind of getting into this intro a little long, but, man, we have an advisory board coming up. <laughs> mm-hmm. that we're and about that's going to say we have some days. big announcements coming. Right? I mean, we have uh, a local, uh, national, international team that's now going to be part of Rise Together to help um, strategically put us uh, in a solid uh, direction over the next... 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. you know, and really taking a look at um, changing the way we engage communities mm-hmm. uh, to some extent, even make a much larger impact than we have in the past three years. And most importantly, help save more lives. Yes. Whether we're doing that through our school speaking program, our student workshops, our new student led program that we're coming out with, with mm-hmm. something that we Another won't announce right now either. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a big partnership coming up this year that is going to actually allow us to do extend uh, a month long program after the school speaking program takes place. I can't wait to see <laughs> what the impact's going to be this year. So, uh, new legislation, boom, big mm-hmm. deal. New advisory board, boom, big deal. We're going to start, you know, securing our tour over 2017. We got some mm-hmm. big wins coming in play. Mm-hmm. We really hope to look uh, to work here in Brown County as well. I mean, this is going to be this is one awesome ride. Yeah. I think it's going to be the best year yet. Oh yeah. I'm looking forward to it. This is. I can feel it. <laughs> this is it. 2017, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, this week we have um, an unbelievable guest. We have Gary Mendel, who is the CEO of Shatterproof. That is shatterproof.org. Again, that is shatterproof.org, which is a great organization that is focusing on a variety of topics, um, activities, and also uh, providing resources. Uh, in short, I'm not going to give too much information away, uh, but we got connected with these uh, individuals in Milwaukee mm-hmm. when we were going to do the repelling event, and one of our street team members actually repelled down the side of what? Was it the Hilton? Uh, I don't know, but it was one of the <laughs> tallest buildings, and there it was It was intense. <laughs> so ultimately saying, like, we're going to repel down the side of the building, and we are stronger than addiction. Right. right? And we're going to take that first step off that ledge, and we're going to trust in the people that we're working with. Yeah. And it's just a phenomenal— Justin did a great job. Yeah. That Justin, was awesome. He's a beast. He probably wants to do it again this year, right? Right? Yeah. Absolutely. I think I might do it. I mean, if, if yeah, they come right. back, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But man, Shatterproof is a great organization. They're spanning all across the United States. They're helping to raise uh, money for addiction research. Also, they have a wonderful resource online, and you can find more information about addiction, prevention, treatment, recovery, advocacy, and you can find ways to get involved. All that is going to be in the show. And I also wanted to go ahead and mention that if you're looking to support this show, Rise and Grind Recovery Radio, we're speaking out to help save lives, then all you got to do is go to We All Rise Together. Org. Again, that's wealllridestogether.org. You can go and go uh, to the... <laughs> 
button that says support this radio show. Also, you can become a Patreon. If you just take a look at the episode notes, you'll find the link for Patreon and you go ahead and donate a dollar a month. Donate $100 a month. Donate um, $2 for the entire year. I don't really care. If you want to go ahead and support us, that would be wonderful. We look to have the show uh, span across the United States to help get people engaged with resources, uh, get people engaged with other advocacy leaders, and get people engaged um, with the ability to speak out themselves and to encourage their communities, inspire their communities to make the changes that are needed. So again, you just go to weallrisetogether.org, and now we are going to get set for the interview with Gary Mendel, CEO of Shatterproof. Here it is. Looking to bring a positive message to your next event? Contact Air and Allies. Air and Allies specializes in bringing entertainment to recovery events, daytime music events, and family-friendly community events. Air and Allies also specializes in bringing artists who bring a positive message to reinforce a better lifestyle to events like Mile of Music. Air and Allies can also help you plan and organize your event to make it successful. To learn more about making your event successful and feature a positive message, email Air and Allies at airandallies at gmail.com or look for the link on this podcast. Are you looking to prevent drug use throughout your community? Rise Together is a national movement that is helping to educate and spread awareness on mental health and addiction. After traveling 100,000 miles and speaking to over 120,000 young people in just three years, they currently have one of the best school speaking programs in the world. They are now available for school seminars, event speaking, motivational workshops, public panels, and even corporate trainings. Contact them now by visiting www.weallrisetogether.org. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Anthony Alvarado from Rise and Grind Recovery Radio, and I'm back at you this week with the second episode of the year 2017. What do you think about that, Nadine? Oh, I am super stoked again to be here. Uh, I can't even believe already second week, uh, 2017. It is super exciting. I am so, so ready here for this new year. And it seems like you're getting quite comfortable in the studio. Now, this is your second week back. Uh, Last week, we had uh, Greg Williams from Facing Addiction in, and you were in on that interview. And then this week, we have Gary Mendel from Shatterproof. I I mean, two weeks in a row, I'm kind of a big deal now. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking about a big deal, we have Mr. Gary Mendel in the house from Shatterproof. How are you doing, sir? Good, Anthony. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, fantastic. I mean, besides the weather here in Wisconsin, a little bit of ice, rain, snow, we'll probably get some lightning, maybe, who knows, maybe by the end of the day it'll be 75 degrees. I'm not really sure what <laughs> what, right. what, well, what well, happens I'm, here in the I'm Midwest. In, I'm in New York City, it's the same thing, but I think all of us in the, in the parts of the country where there's change of seasons, um, there's a lot of benefit to the change. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, enjoy, we enjoy the four seasons. Yes, I know. Uh, we actually have been quite fortunate. We have had a relatively nice, nice winter. I think um, it was kind of comical. I was going to go ahead and cut my grass on December 1st. If it didn't uh, rain the day before, I definitely would have. So um, it, it dropped off uh, this last week. It got down to like minus 25 with the wind chills. So uh, that isn't necessarily favorable, but it hasn't been too bad. Plus, the winter has been actually quite nice and to get outside uh, when it is a little bit warmer. Uh, we've definitely been trying to do that. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. excellent. Well, cool. Well, I, thanks, man. I just want to, you know, first of all, just start off and and just thank you for being here today. I know you're quite busy and you have a lot going on, and that's part of the reason why we have you on the show today. Uh, we've crossed paths uh, via online, and I know we've done um, some work in uh, parallel, but we've never got a chance to actually uh, connect. And this is one of the first times that we're speaking together. So. Um, 
thank you for being here in the studio with us, but also thank you for all the work that you're doing. Well, um, Anthony, it's a pleasure to be here with you and Nadine, and thank you for all the work that you both are doing as well. Um, there's a lot of us out there doing a lot of important work. So I, I appreciate the two of you, what you're doing as well. Absolutely. Mm, thank you. you so much. I appreciate that. You know, we, we do really care about the cause, the recovery movement. We, we care passionately about prevention and educating our youth and helping to eliminate the stigma around addiction and mental health and in part doing that to, by encouraging uh, students to stand up and speak out and talk about the issues that they care about. And, you know, at a younger age, they can start reaching out for help. Um, and I think that in part can help not only prevent this addiction epidemic from getting worse, but um, encourage people to become resilient and strong and confident and, you know, aspire after dreams, goals, and aspirations more <laughs> often than they're not. I mean, I don't, we can get into a little bit later, but um, man, Gary, if you would see some of these students, you know, at uh, 10 to 18 years old, um, already thousands every single month I'm, I'm standing in front of that are saying, you know, I've already lost. Um, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, all my siblings, an uncle, uh, um, you name it, best friends, a teacher, um, some guy I used to know in the community. It is heartbreaking to see them at such a young age already lose somebody to drugs and alcohol. And I can only um, really see the heartbreak in my own personal lived experience because back then, even though there was drugs in my home, I could have never stood up in that auditorium and said and answered the same question in the same way because I didn't lose anybody then. But today it's like it's almost like it's a common it's a common conversation once you allow it to be had. And I think in part education awareness and that conversation um, needs to happen more often than ever before. And in part, uh, Shatterproof is helping to engage uh, thousands all across the country. So why don't we just start off right there and tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing over at Shatterproof. Sure. Um, well, I think, as you may know, Anthony, and I'm not sure if your listeners do, uh, my career was in business. And, um, you know, I have a company that has almost $2 billion in sales now. And tragically, my older son, Brian, struggled with addiction for many years and lost his life on October 20th, 2011. Mm. And, um, after his death, I originally started out with the vision of a small local charity. Um, but as I started to build a business plan for that, um, what really struck me was a few things. How big this disease was. You know, when Brian was alive, um, someone had asked me how many fathers in my small town in Connecticut had a son who was addicted. I would have raised my hand and said... There's probably a few others, but it's me and a few others. And I don't know who even the others are because everyone's embarrassed to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But I found out that my assumption was wrong, that it wasn't just me and a few others. There's over 20 million people in this country with a substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. And when you run the math, that's one in, one in 10 Americans above the age of 12 have a substance use disorder. And... That's one quarter of American families. Someone in their family is addicted. Mother, father, son, or daughter. And I also learned the third largest cause of death in the country behind heart and cancer. 
right? He was totally unaware of, of the statistics of what was going on in the country when Brian was alive. And the day that Brian died, 400 people died that day. <laughs> but you don't hear about it. You never heard about it unless it was a celebrity. Think about what would happen if tonight or this afternoon 400 dolphins washed ashore in Florida. Mm-hmm. It'd be on nightly news on CNN for, for, for a week. This is 400 human beings, sons and daughters, that are dying every day and no one was talking about it. Mm-hmm. So it struck me how big it was. It also struck me that 8 out of 10 of those addicted today became addicted before their 18th birthday. Not, not 100%, but 8 out of 10. We as a society, it really hit me hard to really understanding that, that we as a society are letting our children, allowing our children to become addicted, not putting programs in place that can prevent it. When our children, our teens, are not old enough to make the right decisions because their brains are not fully developed until the early 20s. And the brains are so susceptible to becoming addicted. The third thing that really struck me, which, which really hit me hard, frankly, was I learned that there's $20 billion worth of research that's been funded by NIH over the last two decades. Mm-hmm. That research that has proven through clinical trials to absolutely substantially reduce the number of our teens who ever become addicted. And there's another body of knowledge within that $20 billion of research mm-hmm. that has proven to improve outcomes in treatment. All this information is in peer-reviewed medical journals. And very little is being implemented in our communities and our healthcare system. And why do you think that's so? Well, that led me to four and five. That was one, two, and three, and that led me to four and five. Number four, mm-hmm. stigma. Yeah. You know, I read research reports and found out of the 22 million that have a substance use disorder, literally 24% of them, a quarter, did not seek treatment in 2014 because they were, they were either ashamed of either their friends, family, family members, or coworkers finding out that they had a substance use disorder. One quarter. Funding. Think of federal funding. Federal funding for addiction in NIH is about a billion and a half. Compare that to cancer, $7 billion, which is wonderful. I wouldn't take a dollar of that away. Right, absolutely. But if there's twice as many people in this country who are addicted, excuse me, who have a substance use disorder compared to cancer, and it's three times the cost of society in cancer, mm-hmm. well, if cancer is $7 billion, which is wonderful, it should be 15 to $20 billion. There's not enough funding for research. People don't want to seek treatment. Doctors don't want to deal with it. Ah, it's a bunch of addicts. Leave them alone. Let yeah. them die. That's, yeah. that's been the attitude. Not that I'm saying every doctor feels that way, but that has been the prevailing attitude over, over the previous decades. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and so I'm not coming down on doctors in any way, shape, or form, but that has been what the societal norm. Yeah. And so that's stigma. And also, let alone self-stigma. That's mm-hmm. societal stigma and structural stigma. How about the self-stigma? If you're someone who's got a substance use disorder, and you open up the nightly news, you turn on the TV at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and you say, wow, my, my town had a walk for autism, or we just had a big bike ride for MS. But addicts? No, 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 we don't do that stuff for you. <laughs> just, just go to the bottom of a church basement and get out of sight and do your meetings every day. And by the way, if you have a, if you have a relapse, 
unlike with cancer where you're rushed to the hospital or diabetes, we're going to send you to jail. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how people with this disease feel. Mm-hmm. The more but shame and guilt. <laughs> my son did not die of an overdose. My son took his own life. And he took his own life after being 13 months substance-free because of what he felt about himself. I'm sure he was having um, uh, cravings. I'm sure he felt so much self-hate for what he had done to his life and done to us. I'm not sure. I know he did, because I'm more than sure, because he wrote about it in a note. Very loving to us. Just wanted our lives to go on without having to worry about him. He couldn't have been, you know, if there ever is such a thing as a nice suicide note, I don't know if there is. This is about as loving and nice as it could be. And didn't want to be a bother to us anymore. No one should feel that way when they have a disease. Absolutely. That was for stigma in answer to your question of why. And the other why is it really hit me hard also. No national organization. Mm-hmm. There's American Cancer Society, American Heart Association, Susan Cohen, Autism Speaks, MS Society, Alzheimer's, JDRF, Michael Fox for Parkinson's. There was nothing for addiction. No national organization that was raising the funding to put money into prevention, treatment, and recovery research to get those programs spread, taken out of the medical journals and implemented and to advocate for change, both at the federal and state levels. Mm-hmm. So knowing this, the vision of a small local charity went away and turned into a vision of a large national organization. I decided to leave my business. I promoted people within it to run it. And I dedicated the rest of my life to building this organization. Thank um, you. I just want to thank you. Just... Your, in answer to your question about what we've been doing, yeah. when you look at what those other health, large national health organizations do, they fund private research, they advocate for change, they end stigma, and they provide information and support to families. That's mm-hmm. what they do. And that's what our organization will do fully as we grow. But my background is in building businesses. And so I knew we couldn't do all of it at once. And I wanted to develop a track record so I could show donors this is not your typical charity just creating awareness. Mm -hmm. We are making change and we can prove it. And um, so we decided to launch with two things when we launched our organization. Number one state advocacy, because we knew we could make, we could get it done, and we could show within a year the laws that actually we drafted, we advocated for, and we pushed through state legislators, legislatures, and secondly, a year later, approximately how many lives were saved by that law being passed. And we've gone after um, laws that to reduce the number of people who died from an overdose. Our mission is related to the addiction to alcohol and drugs, but for the first few years, we're focusing on the opiate epidemic, primarily. Mm-hmm. And there's laws you can pass in states, including the active in your state of Wisconsin, getting laws passed. And we've now been active in the last two and a half years in 10 states. All 10 states have passed legislation, so we're 10 for 10. Mm-hmm. And we're That's active in four states right now for another four. Um, and so we've been very active and successful in that. And then the third thing, excuse me, the second thing 
I mentioned two things we launched with the organization with. One was state advocacy, and the second one was building a platform of peer-to-peer events around the country where people in local communities can engage with the organization, engaging in the conversation that will end the stigma of addiction in their local communities, and raise funding for our mission, engage people. Mm-hmm. So the big event that every health charity has is a walk, uh, and we weren't ready to launch into that when we formed our organization. So we launched with something that was smaller in scale, but would bring attention to what we're doing to a cause that needs immediate attention. And that's been a series of events around the country. We're novices. We tell off the building. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very safe. It's done, there's about 100 of these done around the country every year for us, Special Olympics, Boy Scouts, Make-A-Wish, American Cancer Society and others, and we jumped into that, and um, we've held 45 of those over the last 30 years all across the country. I know we definitely had one in Wisconsin. One of our uh, good friends actually jumped off the building, and I uh, I thought about repelled, repelled, yeah, oh, repelled, <laughs> right, right. You didn't jump, right? <laughs> uh, very different, yes. <laughs> and it was cold, um, yeah, but it was, yeah, it was cold. Yeah, we did one, and we did it in Milwaukee. Uh, yep. before last. Yeah, we were there. The, Mo- the Milwaukee Brewers partnered with us, and, and uh, it was awesome. <laughs> they, they were partial sponsor with us, and they had some of their players there. And it's extremely safe. I mean, my 81-year-old mother did it last year in Stanford. We've had yes. many people in their 70s do it. That is awesome. Several several in their, Sounds like my great-grandmother. She's awesome. It's extremely safe. And there's a nice parallel to people in recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, the hardest part about recovery is that first step as you lean back. Right. And then you go step-by-step step in recovery, always looking at the sky with your friends and family around you, supporting you, clapping and cheering until your feet safely hit the ground, hit the ground. And it's been a wonderful launch to the organization. Uh, I might add, we are going to continue it into this year, but we're also adding, we're launching a 5K series oh, yeah. uh, of a walk nice. slash run. And nice. we're launching in five markets. Um, starting June 11th, we're going to be in Kansas City in partnership with the Kansas City Chiefs. We're doing it at Arrowhead Stadium. No kidding. Some of the players are going to be with us and their wives, and we're going to have a large community event with thousands of people joining us. And, and then <laughs> we're beautiful. later on this summer, fall, we're moving into New York City, Boston, Washington, D.C. In, in recovery month in September, and Atlanta. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And again, I mean, big props to you guys and everything you're doing from an advocacy level, even from a state policy level, I mean, influencing policymakers to make the changes that are necessary to help address the opiate crisis that we're seeing here in the state. Those are are the two things we've launched with, Anthony. Yeah. Um, In um, in 2016, we grew into two other initiatives Hmm. um, in addition to those first two. Okay. Those first two were were started in 2013-14 as we launched, and we added two new things last year. Last year, we expanded our advocacy into federal advocacy. Mm-hmm. We were the lead advocate working with the CDC for to get their guidelines issued in March related to prescribing guidelines for doctors of when and how to prescribe opioids. Mm-hmm. They were scheduled to be released in January. We had a conversation in with the CDC the first week of January. When there was an announcement, the CDC had announced the guidelines were delayed indefinitely. In a big article by the AP that they were delayed indefinitely because of lobbying of the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. 
and we jump in and um, you know I asked the CDC how can we help we're so small and the response was Gary we could really use your help to do what you've been doing in the states you've been the most effective out there getting lost past in states we don't need a vote either by Congress what we need is to offset all the letters we're getting every day from senators and congressmen put up to it by their lobbyists related to the pharmaceutical industry knocking the guidelines. We need to offset that. So we ran a campaign for, in January, February, in the first couple of weeks of March. We hired a top-notch lobby, federal lobbying firm, not a state lobbying firm. We hired a national uh, public relations firm who specializes in public affairs. We activated our base. We have about uh, uh, 75,000 well, we have over 100,000 and include all our forms of social media, people that we can reach. Mm-hmm. And we activated our base. We had almost a th- hundreds and hundreds of comments on the CDC website in favor of the guidelines. Mm-hmm. Ten of us, we had ten of, ten of us, including myself, testifying at the public hearing on January 28th down in Atlanta. We had um, op-eds issued. We had letters to the editor issued. We had letters by seven senators sent in the press conference the day before the public hearing, and it worked. The guidelines were issued. Very nice. Um, we were also active throughout the year with the CARA legislation and the 21st Century Cures Act, which added a billion dollars in funding for opioids. So we, we've expanded into federal. And the other thing that we did in 2016 is we filled the void that we felt was there when I did the original business plan back in 2012, that there was no one website out there one central place for families to go to looking for evidence-based information on how to prevent, treat, and recover. You have, you have a two-year-old who you think may have autism, <laughs> acting a little funny. You can go to autismspeaks.org and learn what you need to know. Mm-hmm. You have a family member gets diagnosed with heart disease, you can go to, to AmericanHeart.org and learn what you need to know. That did not exist for addiction. And we spent uh, most of the last year building that, and it launched on November 16th. So it's now about two months old. Um, it's not everything we want it to be yet, but it's, a, it's, it's absolutely a place where people can go and find evidence-based, trusted information on how to prevent, treat, and recover. Most of the information on there is all footnoted to the original research paper, so it's all there with footnotes, all trusted. We don't take any money from pharmaceutical companies hmm. as, as a source of funding. Mm-hmm. And completely unbiased, all footnoted, all evidence-based. And now we have a team on staff full-time that's going to be building and adding to it throughout the year. Excellent. Yeah, so, I'm looking at Shatterproof. Um, excellent resource. Yeah, Shatterproof.org. Yeah, I'm looking that's at it right now. You guys... never, yeah, that's never existed before. Yeah, now it looks it's great. Gonna, it's going to get better and better every week. Yeah, it looks wonderful. I mean, I, I helped to, uh, well, I actually built our new Rise Together site, and it's so always like just adding little pieces, you know, here and there, and really providing resources, you know, to our audience, you know, especially since we primarily deal with teens and starting to build that out. But I'm just navigating through your website over the last couple of days, and, you know, you have your, you know, information about addiction, prevention, treatment, recovery, just like you listed, and advocacy. I mean, how do you um, encourage people to get involved? You have it all right there, you know, whether it's from the repel events uh, to the turkey trot that you've done in the past to you know the rise of you know 5k walks that's up and coming you know for this new year i mean it's just a really easy to navigate resource and i think that is really crucial for people to understand even the people that are listening there uh here today um 
it is a still common conversation uh, quite often. We're like parents coming to us, teens coming to us, or just anybody from the community really just, well, where can I go? Where do I start? I know somebody that needs help. Um, and they can't just simply go online and search for it. And if they do find some resources, is it a trusted resource? Is it easy to navigate? Um, you know, whether that's finding traditional sport groups, finding treatment, um, finding access to treatment for one, and how, who's going to help you navigate that system, right? And then what about, you know, um, picking up on risk factors or maybe just health and wellness and a holistic approach to recovery? I love the sites that are coming out um, with a really rounded amount of resource uh, for everyone. You know, if you're a family member, if you're a person struggling with addiction, or you're a teen, I think it is amazing, and you guys are on your way to doing that. So thank you. Um, it's, it's, it's what's needed, and we're really happy to do it. And I would also say, related to the 5K series coming out, um, I have to tell you, we have, we, we have a promotional, we have a 60-second video and a 30-second video, so we can use for PSAs to promote them. And when I read the script, the 60-second version, I have to tell you, I cried. It was so good. Um, we filmed it about a month ago, and I know a lot of your audience is in recovery, so I, I, I know you'll appreciate this. Um, we filmed it on the Lower East Side, and we filmed it at 5 o'clock in the morning. As both of you know, and people in recovery know, people with this disease, they live in shame often. They live in isolation, in darkness. Mm -hmm. The theme, the branding around the 5K series is to bring this out of the darkness, this disease, and people with who have this disease, out of the darkness, into the light, into the light of mm -hmm. love. And so we started filming it at 5 o'clock in the morning. It was pitch black. We had a young man in his early 20s with a hoodie on, leaning over the east, on a railing, looking over the East River. It was dark, and his face was isolated, shameful. Mm -hmm. And as the sun started to come up over the horizon, his face looked a little bit more optimistic. He flipped the hoodie back, and then his mother came and held his left hand, and his father came from the right and held his right hand, and the three started walking. And then as ten steps later, a bunch of people come from both sides and show up in front and walk in front of them. Ten to five steps later, people come from either side and walk behind them. And the voiceover is, if you have this disease, you're not alone. There's people in front of you. There's people walking behind you. There's people surrounding you with love. The way that you end, you know, the darkness of stigma is the light of love. I mean, it's just it's the message that we want to give off. It's the message that we should all unite around. It's just going to be... I can't wait. <laughs> that sounds beautiful. And I, I the love repelling, their using. The repelling has been it's brought media because it's repelling off a building. Yeah. And it's launched the organization. And we're going to continue doing it because people love it. But this is going to be so emotionally correct, mm -hmm. appropriate for what we're, what we're trying to pull off. Not trying to pull off. What we will bring people together about People want to walk together and share together and be together. And that's what this is going to be about. It's amazing. Because we're stronger together, 
right? Like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I mean, you have like rise up against uh, addiction. And for us, it was like rise together, like to have that common bond and to share and to appreciate one another and to have that love and that connection and to support one another, mm-hmm. you know, and not to do it alone and to find strength in each other. I mean, when I see, you know, uh, 1,200, 1,500 students all banding arms together in those auditoriums. Um, you can see the empowerment that brings uh, to that young person, mm-hmm. right? And they, they don't feel so alone. Where now they can walk forward and say, you know, thank you. I didn't know that so many other people struggled with this same struggle. Maybe it was anxiety or depression or cutting or burning or maybe suicidal tendencies or maybe drugs and alcohol. Uh, but they can look across the room and they can see peers. And I know we as people tend to heal together, right? And with that, we can start bonding relationships within the community. And with those relationships come connections to that community, connections to all things that are supportive of recovery, whether it's health or wellness, physical fitness, how to eat right, how to sleep right, where can you go to meetings, where can you get family support, where can you take a look at uh, maybe uh, meditation, maybe other holistic approaches to recovery, looking at all pathways to support that person during their entire lifeline. But you're doing it with somebody by your side. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm just we're speaking the exact same language. I've been following what your organization has done. It's a wonderful things to bring people together and reduce this isolation of people with a disease no different than diabetes. Mm-hmm. And um, we plan to join with you and others and push that forward. Yeah, I mean, we are stronger together. And I think if, if we can figure out ways uh, as advocacy organizations, um, some of them that are out there, I mean, there's hundreds across, all across the nation, uh, but stepping forward and leading the charge, um, you know, that's why I wanted to really open up this show. Um, yes, we're speaking out to help save lives, to help break stigma around addiction and mental health, um, but I want to have all conversations at this table. Yes, we, we talked about um, influencing policymakers uh, right around the legislative season. And, you know, you take a look at uh, the political campaign and the presence that addiction awareness has had at a presidential office. It is quite phenomenal that President Barack Obama, um, you know, during his term, was able to really kind of hang his hat on that. And I know you got a chance to sit right side by side with him and also talk about the Cures Act. And can you maybe give a little information about that phenomenal moment in your advocacy? About the, about the Cures Act? Yeah. Or, yeah. When you went ahead and, uh, you know, you were with President Barack Obama. Sure. Um, you know, the Cures Act was the culmination of work that we your organization and so many others had spent all year talking about. I mean, the CARA Act was a step in the right direction, but it was only $181 million a year, and it wasn't even appropriated. It was just authorized. That needed to be supplemented with, we need a billion dollars to add into treatment capacity today. There are three million people addicted with an opiate use disorder, and this is an issue now, not to handle over time. And ourselves, our organization, your organization, many throughout the country were beating that drum. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the billion dollars was added into the, to the 21st Cures Act really in the last six weeks before the bill went to the House and the Senate was a testament to the work that all of us have done together. Mm-hmm. And again, 
you've said it many times on this call and on this on this show, and so have I. It's united together, we are stronger. Mm-hmm. Not shatterproof by itself, not the organization by itself, not individuals by themselves, but all together. Mm-hmm. And you know, to be there at the signing of the bill was emotional for a lot of people. It was emotional for President Obama because. This is an issue that was important, that's been important to him in the last two years he's been in office. And it is the last piece of legislation he will sign in his term as president. Mm-hmm. So it was emotional for him, A, for the cause, and B, being the last law that he will sign while in office. It was emotional for Michael Botticelli, the outgoing director of Office of National Drug Control Policy. All the work that he has, wonderful work he has done pushing this issue and so many other issues to help so many people. And uh, again, a culmination of the work that we had done and so many others. So it was just wonderful being there, sharing some time with President Obama. He was very gracious. He asked about my son, Brian, which I really appreciated. Showed a real, real interest in Brian and what had happened to him and, and, and how we've taken that as an organization to help people. And I also want to stress to, to your audience that something that you and Nadine clearly know, and I, I, and I know your audience knows it too, but just to highlight it, mm-hmm. these aren't just numbers. 30,000 people dying, 20,000 people dying, 35,000 people dying. Every life is a mother's son. Every life or a father's, a father's daughter or someone's brother or someone's sister, someone's Father, mother, cousin, uncle, aunt. Every life matters. We get lost in the numbers. These aren't numbers. These are real human beings. And they are dying needlessly. Needlessly. This is not some disease that can't be prevented or treated. It is a disease that can be prevented, and it is a disease that can be treated. And we need to... As we celebrate our successes, we need to remember those that we've lost. And in their name and in their memory and in their honor, we need to put an end to this. Ending this is complicated. Cutting it by half is easy. It's really not complicated. Mm -hmm. Blocking and tackling, we need to speed it up. So for every listener that would like to get involved, please come to shatterproof.org. Put your email address and the zip code in so you can keep track of what we're doing. And when we're advocating to get something changed in your zip code, you'll hear about it, or nationally, you'll hear about it. And you can then choose whether to sign a petition, sign a letter to a legislator. We're starting a campaign, as your listeners know, tomorrow um, to fight changes to the Affordable Care Act that would hurt those with this disease. And there's two things that we don't want to change. We don't want the Medicaid expansion to be rolled back, and that would be extremely harmful to millions of people, or any changes to the essential health benefits, which require uh, insurance plans on the exchanges to cover mental health and addiction. Mm-hmm. And we're starting a campaign tomorrow, so anyone who has an email address and a, and a zip code within our system will be notified either tomorrow or Thursday to hear about how you can help by hitting a button and getting and, and getting a message sent to your legislator about about what, 
what we as the United States citizens don't want changed to protect ourselves. There is nothing that we can't change by people, by voters. Nothing. The masses. We have right. enough people yeah. and voters. Mm-hmm. And so I truly, nothing. honestly believe that, um, you know, we've been advocating for the last three years, going to our fourth year this year, and we just we love being in front of the teens and we love being in front of young people, you know, from fifth grade all the way up through college. And I think that's our place, you know, that's our platform. That's where we survive. That's where we live. That's where we have the most engagement and that direct communication with people to be able to break down those social barriers. Um, it would be great if we could do every single school in America. <laughs> um, we just know that's not a reality, but we do know that the power of like social media, the power of mass media, and the power of just masses in general, right, can help to Absolutely. influence stronger compassion in our communities. Absolutely. So at a local level, Cal- right? I, yeah, I saw it in California. Right. Everyone said there's no way you're going to get this bill passed in California. No way. We took the bill that was that everyone said no way, and we made it better. <laughs> and we got a pass. We got a pass because we had 1,800 people. We have thousands of people on our email database, or, or we can speak to you through, through social media, who live in California. We got 1,800 of them volunteered and, and to, to hit a button which sent a message to their legislators, we want this bill passed. 1,800 of them. Mm-hmm. And every we voice... Had, Every voice matters. Op-ed, yeah, we had op-eds placed. In, it was a committee of 16 people that really mattered, and we knew that nine of those on the committee were really on the bubble. We had op-eds placed in each of those nine districts. And the day after the op-ed hit, basically calling calling attention to their state legislator in that local district of what we needed them to do with the community. And the day after that op-ed hit, we activated our base to make the phone calls. And they got 1,800 phone calls within a matter of seven days. <laughs> That's and amazing. And, we, and then we had dozens of families there at the State House that day, and it worked. And, and we showed what can be done by people, mm-hmm. by voters. How empowering it is even for them. I mean, even here in the state of Wisconsin, uh, we recently had some legislation passed. You might have uh, checked it out already, but we sent out a notice just earlier uh, within this last week. Uh, Governor Scott Walker announced that um, uh, they're going to continue to move forward to address the opiate epidemic here in Wisconsin, but they also are allowing and releasing $12 million worth of funding that's specifically designed to go towards recovery support services like peer specialists, recovery coaches. And if you know anything about Wisconsin or even just uh, that type of service, this is a huge Mm -hmm. monumental uh, shift in attitude, perception, culture, service provision, and it really cements the idea of how important it is that we do um, continue to unite, even in our service provisions, and we start to change the system of care uh, by offering new innovative solutions. Because although there might be some great resources in place, it was really comforting to hear um, somebody like U.S. Senator Tamri Baldwin that was on the show a few weeks ago say something along the lines that, you know, we indeed are not going to arrest our way out of this problem, um, and we can't completely treat our way out of this. 
but we can prevent our way out of this. And I think peer support can help with that prevention. And there's just so much value there. And maybe, yes, $12 million isn't enough, but is it ever really going to be enough? Because we can't just throw money at it either. I, I completely agree with you. And I think, as you know, we worked hard with uh, the legislation that was passed in Wisconsin last year. Yeah. And we worked really well with, with some people you have in your state that are superstars. Uh, <laughs> Representative Nigren is passionate about this issue and is a real leader, very effective at getting things done. It? And it, it just should be applauded for everything he's done and mm-hmm. continues to do. And uh, Attorney, General Bre- Attorney General Brad Schimmel is also very passionate about this cause and works hard on it every day. I mean, the two of them are just wonderful people working so hard for the residents of Wisconsin and should both should be applauded for all the work they continue to do. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We are definitely grateful for uh, the work that they have done in the last few years and, and have definitely continued to do. It's huge, huge progress. I mean, yeah. really, for our state. Uh, it's it's been really great, and to be and to be even invited, right? Mm-hmm. So when you talk about uh, like Governor Scott Walker invited me to a bill signing to help um, actually give better access to Narcan in the state of Wisconsin, that was a phenomenal moment, you know. And to be side by side with Nigren and Speak and Brad mm-hmm. Schimmel, and to have them on the same stage together, and to be doing public panels and other advocacy measures. Uh, behind the scenes and, you know, in the forefront, whether that's in a media public panel or, you know, at a local rally or even just on a one-on-one strategic planning, you know, it is, they have opened the doors for that to happen and together, all of us all across the state and especially people in recovery are given an opportunity to be heard. And that's just never happened before or not on this scale not on this level Mm -hmm. and now we're being invited to the quote-unquote big tables or the big rooms right and because we should be and how you i mean how are you going to decide what the recovery landscape is going to look like if you don't have somebody in recovery in the room helping to voice that opinion absolutely yeah absolutely and um you know we've spoken a little bit here about prevention, treatment, and recovery, that I want to highlight recovery also. Um, she's talking about you know, the billion dollars mainly going toward treatment um, and prevention. But, you know, there needs to be so much more put into recovery. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it should be reimbursed by insurance. You know, it's a chronic health disease. It's okay. No shame. No stigma. No different than diabetes, and you're covered by insurance for whatever supports you need as you deal with diabetes for the rest of your life. And there's no, again, no shame, no stigma, just like anything else, like another disease. Your brain's been altered a little bit, it's okay, and we can work through it. Mm-hmm. And recovery should be part of the healthcare system in a way that is works for everyone, and, and there should be money put behind it. We should have trained professionals who are certified to provide the support services that are needed. You know, there should be a chain of restaurants out there for people in recovery where no one's drinking. There should be, you know, why are people at the bottom of, you know, local community basements? Why aren't they in nice rooms if they want to go to a meeting? 
And why aren't there many more restaurants that cater to people in recovery? And, or special events. Or any you know, why, community event. Why should you, why should you check in at a, at, a, at a gate at an airport? And if you have a peanut allergy, it's noted on your uh, frequent, it's noted on your ID and they know it. And, okay, Mr. Jones, we're going to put you in a special section where we, we're sure that you will not be exposed to any peanuts or any peanut odors or smells or anything. If you're in recovery, why should they say, Mr. Jones, I see you're in recovery? Would you, like to, would you like to sit in a special section where there's 10 seats set aside for those in recovery? Or you can sit anywhere else you'd like. But why why the, why the person ask? Why should a 20-year-old who just, who just who's in early recovery, maybe substance-free for six months, fly home to see their parents and be sitting, sitting next to somebody who has a whiskey? Mm-hmm. That's disrespectful. It's not right. And then on and on and on. But we are going to build this organization, and we are going to bring in people to help us. We are going to get this done. And we are going to prevent our teams. We are going to provide treatment based on evidence with no shame and stigma. And work hard to provide the necessary, the just reports for recovery that everyone, anyone should have. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think, um, you know, you hit on a couple of good points with the recovery support services, and I just want to re-highlight some of that. And I think, honestly, if we had um, not only the ability to eliminate much of the stigma that surrounds addiction and mental health, for that matter, uh, but to continue to look at the entire lifespan, even when somebody's like in um, elementary school, you know, what are they learning about uh, in regards to life skills? Uh, developing resiliency, uh, helping to overcome challenges, having safe environments for people to reach out in schools, outside of schools, and what kind of transformation is happening at home, and how are we encouraging parents to be a role in prevention? How uncomfortable is that a conversation for them today, but how comfortable can it be for them tomorrow if we were able to provide those resources? Um, You know, drugs over dinner, for example, is a great, you know, tool to use at home. Um, But what goes beyond that? Then you look at collegiate recovery communities, safe places for people to um, get involved in their community, go to pro-social activities. Um, What about other public health measures like safe um, serving practices and other policies that would help to eliminate some of the substance use or abuse that goes on in communities? Uh, Looking at the culture that we have today, especially here in the Midwest, we often say that uh, we drink a lot. I mean, we have uh, the Brewers as our baseball team, and, Mm -hmm. you know, the list kind of goes on and on and on but where are those safe environments for those people in recovery because i know there's thousands and thousands of people in recovery and they may not even recognize themselves being in recovery today in wisconsin um, but we're just starting to break beyond um, that silence and where where do the people go when they reach for help aimlessly online and we talked about a lot of that today so for everybody else that's listening out here today i just want to make sure that we do highlight those things there's a lot of great awesome valuable information that's here we don't have too many more minutes uh, but if you can go to shatterproof.org you can go ahead and check out the about section give a little bit of history especially most importantly uh, the story of brian uh, which is gary's son Um, i wanted just to say something uh, specifically about that Um, I wanted to bring it up in the beginning, but sometimes, to be honest with you, Gary, it's a little hard because I have a son and daughter, and 
I've interviewed a lot of parents uh, recently, and whether it's on the show or just over the last couple of years that have uh, lost their child, their loved one, to an overdose or to uh, addiction. And we were with uh, Bev Kelly Miller yesterday, who was on the show uh, in the first month, and her daughter's uh, birthday was yesterday. And she um, went to her daughter's high school, and she educated those students uh, seven classes all day long uh, just to continue to share um, her daughter's voice, to give a voice to the voiceless. And I think about the other mothers that have joined us on stage. And, um, man, I, the reason I bring it up is because it's, it's, a, it's a fear of mine, to be honest with you. My son's 13 now, and there's certain behavior that he has. There's certain things that I know that he is struggling with. There's some things that he might even struggle more with. And this is right around the age where he can run into uh, using for the first time. And although there's education at home and he's aware of the conversation, it doesn't stop him um, from becoming addicted necessarily, but it can help prevent, right? So I just want to, I just want to thank you, you know, for sharing Brian's story and, you know, going out there and completely changing your life and your job and your workload and your passion and your purpose and not only driving forward and getting involved on a local smaller nonprofit level like you originally wanted to but really taking up the challenge and looking at the current system of care this current marketplace and addressing it in such a way that you thought hey i can offer uh, not only my own backyard but america a better resource and we can do that through yes advocacy we can do that through these pro-social activities, but we also are going to provide resources so when people come to our page, they can get the help that they need. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. Now, Anthony, I, I appreciate that, and um, thank you for saying that. Uh, and, and I'll close with saying, you know, every day, uh, you know, there's a side of me that's distraught, sad, hurts. But I also, in many ways, feel blessed. Um, I've had the opportunity to meet such wonderful people um, all across the country. You know, one person can start something, but one person can't do anything alone. And I've had such a wonderful opportunity to meet so many wonderful people all across the country who have joined with us and shared their stories, donated to us, come to our events, advocated for us, Probably a legislator, and just wonderful people all across the country, all doing whatever they feel comfortable with, but collectively, really helping a lot of people. And, and other organizations like yourself that we've been privileged to work alongside. And um, thank you for saying what you're saying, but I also thank you for everything that you've done as well. Thank you. And uh, looking forward to doing more. Absolutely. And so, well, thank you, Gary, so much for being on today's show. And for everybody else that's out there listening, I'm going to provide all of the show notes like we typically do, all the resources. Uh, Shatterproof.org has a majority of the conversation that we had today. But I would encourage you to sign up and get involved. Do your part. Continue to build the momentum. Stay engaged. Know what's going on in your community. Know what's going on on a national level. Um, if you find leadership in us, by all means, we would love to help to lead the way. But we cannot 
do it without you. I think that is the conversation of today. Now it is 2017. We're early in the year, but that does not mean we stop moving forward. If anything else, I think this is going to be the best year of them all since we've gotten started. And mm -hmm. Gary, I know we'll be running side by side. Sounds great. Thank you again, and uh, look forward to seeing both you and Nadine soon. Absolutely. Right. Thank, Thank you, you so Gary. Much. Okay. Mm -hmm. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Are you looking to prevent drug use throughout your community? Rise Together is a national movement that is helping to educate and spread awareness on mental health and addiction. After traveling 100,000 miles and speaking to over 120,000 young people in just three years, they currently have one of the best school speaking programs in the world. They are now available for school seminars, event speaking, motivational workshops, public panels, and even corporate trainings. Contact them now by visiting www.weallrisetogether.org. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. You can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we can walk it out. We gon' walk it out and move on All right. Well, we uh, just ended our interview this week with Gary Mendel here at Rise and Grind Recovery Radio. And man, it is amazing to be able to speak with Gary and have him share his story uh, about his son, Brian, and, you know, the amazing work that Shatterproof is doing. You know, they are one of the leading voices or leading charges, you could say, in, in the recovery movement and, you know, really making some great changes. And, you know, I know here at Rise Together, we are so grateful for their support and um, I know vice versa. And I just want to say thank you so much again, Gary. And, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this next year. This is going to be a really great year. So um, I hope everybody has an awesome week and we will see you or you will hear us next week at Rise and Grind Recovery Radio. Thank you so much. Thank you.